Pastor Xavier Reese talks about the journey of life. It has been said that a fugitive is one who is running from home, a vagabond, one who has no home, and a pilgrim, which you and I are, is one on his way home. The thing is, how are you traveling on your way home? Are you traveling like Jacob, carnally, self-will, adding more hurt to your life? Or are you walking in obedience? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Most likely you've spent some time with a map or two during your summer travels, and the reality is there was generally more than one way to get from point A to point B. However, there's usually only one best way. Today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to the book of Genesis as he shares what happens when we try and rewrite God's roadmap. Genesis chapter 28, we're going to look at the entire chapter, verse 1 through 22, and the message is entitled, You Can Run But You Can't Hide. Jacob has gone along with his mother Rebekah's plan to deceive his father Isaac, pretending to be his brother Esau. God has already prophesied that Jacob was going to be the one who would be blessed, but we'll never know how God was going to do that because of human interruptions and obstacles. He has obtained the birthright and the blessing, but It has cost him more than he knows. For starters, he must flee to uh, his home in fear of his life, as Esau declared that he would kill him as soon as his father died. The sovereignty of God overrides the obstacles of man to fulfill his will, but it does not override the consequences for walking in the flesh. So as you go through this passage, never think that. It is very clear that God is going to deal with Jacob severely, and he's going to take him to the university of Uncle Laban by the hand of God. The flight of Jacob, the harem from the wrath of his brother Esau, is given to us here in this chapter, and it consists of three things uh, through these three scenes. Let me um, read for us here, chapter 28. And then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him. And he said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Panaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiplier, that you may be an assembly of people and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Panaram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob, and Esau. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Panaram to take himself a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Panaram. Also Esau saw the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac, so Isaac went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, uh, Abraham's son, the sister of Mabahath, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he came to the certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. 
And he took one of the stones of the place and put it at his head, and he laid down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south. And in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you. And will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning. He took the stone that he had put on his head set it as a pillar, and pour oil on top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city had been Luz previously. And Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me from in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And the stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you give me. I will surely give you a tenth to you. The flight of Jacob to Haram from the wrath of his brother Esau is revealed to us here in these three scenes. First, the sending of Jacob to Haran by Isaac in verse 1 through 5. Secondly, the retaliation of Esau towards Isaac for sending Jacob to Haran in verse 6 through 9. And then thirdly, the visitation of Jacob by God on his way to Haran in verse 10 through 22. The sending of Jacob to Haran by Isaac is interesting. There's a real sharp twist in the story all of a sudden. In verse 1 and 2, Isaac summoned Jacob. Isaac um, called Jacob in response to Rebekah's concern about the safety of her own life that Jacob might marry women of the land like Esau, and he gives to that in the last verse of the previous chapter. She, being a shrewd woman, did not want to reveal her concern for his safety from Esau because then she would have to reveal to Isaac that it was her plan. It's always sad when a marriage lives as two instead of one. This is the patriarch, Isaac, And yet what we know, the little information we have, we see that his home, though it started great, God brought that bride, but they were never really one. They allowed themselves to be divided by the children. And it was a horrible home. Isaac confirmed the blessing he had given to Jacob. Now in verse 1, Jacob had been chosen by God, as you know, way back in 24, 23. It says, the Lord Yahweh said to her, the mother, Uh, Rebecca, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people should be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. They knew this already. Here it is years later, after all the stuff that's gone on, Jacob and Rebecca had chosen to get into the way of God. Isaac, by attempting to bless Esau, attempting to contradict the revealed will of God. Rebecca, by attempting to help God fulfill the revealed will of God. Both wrong. Notice Isaac charged Jacob, 
with taking a wife. This is the heart of the matter here that's involved. The word charge in verse 1 there means a command or a commission. This was an obedience to God to keep the promised line pure. The Messiah would come through it. Jacob was to go to the family of Rebekah and take a wife there. Verse 2 tells us. He told them, arise, go to Panoram. The region is synonymous, as you know, with Mesopotamia of Haran. Genesis 24, 10, 11, 31. Throughout this text, we've seen this. He was to go to the house of Bethuel, his mother's father. The family connection has been carefully documented for us as early as Genesis 22:23, and then 24:15, and 24:47, and on and on and on, so that we can trace that line. We can see the connection. It has been preparing us for this moment way before this. He was to take himself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, his mother's brother. So very, very specific. Now, notice when you get to verse 3, Isaac pronounced the blessing on Jacob. The personal blessing comes first in verse 3. The favor of God. Listen, may God Almighty bless you, El Shaddai, omnipotent God. Now, I don't want you to get confused in the story. Esau is bad news, cardinal. I mean, he's out to lunch. He's a natural man. But Jacob is not spiritual. He's 100% beef. And God's going to tenderize him. He's going to take care of him real good. The increase of God comes next and make you fruitful and multiply you. The people of God comes next. Then you may be an assembly of peoples. The word for assembly, kahal, has a sense of congregation or church, and it's used like that at times. Now, the patriarchal blessing comes second in verse 4. The promised blessing and give you the blessing of Abraham. goes back to the original call of Abraham, chapter 12. The perpetual blessing to you and your descendants with you. In the possession of the land, then is stated that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger. And then comes the principal owner. Listen, which God gave to Abraham. The land belongs to God. God gave it to Abraham. There's argument always about who does the land of Israel belong to. Well, we better look at the document. It really belongs to God, the whole earth, and He gave this little portion. Israel. The summary statement is given to us in verse 5. The place, so Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Panoram. The person, the Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian. The Syrian. Later on in Joshua says your father was a Syrian. <laughs> and God called him out. The parental affiliation, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. And so it's very carefully documented, repetitious, even at times monotonous, if you will, but so that you cannot lose the connection. It has been said that a fugitive is one who is running from home, a vagabond, one who has no home, a stranger is one away from home, and a pilgrim, which you and I are, is one on his way home. The thing is, how are you traveling on your way home? Are you traveling like Jacob, carnally, self-will, adding more hurt to your life? Or are you walking in obedience? The Christian can add much hurt to his life by living in the flesh. The most important decision that a person will make in this life 
apart from being born again and accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, is who they will marry. Listen to me well. Marriage is a lifelong commitment till death do you part. Marriage will change you for the rest of your life. Honest. Marriage will make you either enjoy life or endure life. Marriage with an unbeliever is rebellion against the Lord, being unequally yoked and having a divided home by choice. Marriage to an unbeliever will cause you to walk alone in Christ, never truly being one with your husband or wife. Now, sometimes people get saved after they're married. God is sufficient. But we're talking about before the decision of marriage. Marriages of Christians are God's witness to the world to see what he can do with two rotten sinners to transform them. Marriages in Christ are God's vehicle to raise up a godly seed, godly children for the next generation. Listen to Malachi 2.15. But did not... He, speaking about God, not make you one, having a remnant of the spirit. And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of their youth. Listen up, man. When you said I do, you bought it. No returns. No change of mind. Hmm. The blessing of God is on every Christian marriage. Listen to me. There is no exception. If you're a Christian in your marriage, God wants to bless you immensely. God desires to fill you with the Holy Spirit as well as myself continually so that you and I do not walk in the flesh and disrespect one another and be treacherous to one another and do dumb things as husbands and wives. Ephesians 5.18, continue to be filled with the Spirit of God. As you know, God provides guidance, direction, and wisdom for decision-making through his word. His word is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Psalm 119, 105. Because we've never been down this way before. We don't have all the wisdom. We're learning as we go along. God wants us as husbands and as wives to walk in his agape love, to be like Christ so that we don't keep ledgers. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8, you know the capacities there. Agape never fails. Only agape can fulfill that whole list. Only the name of Jesus can fulfill that list. If we're not dependent on him, we're dead. God is willing to give you the best in your marriage, but he will not force you to obey. Therefore, when marriages do fail, it is our fault, not God. Yet he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us, Ephesians 3.20. Amazing. Malachi, once again, it's a very sarcastic book. It's God's people are sarcastic towards God as he charges them. Malachi 2.16 says, For the Lord Yahweh Elohim of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord Yahweh of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. And every time you find the Lord of hosts, it's an army. It's a war title. The army of the host of heaven. God fights against the rebellious. Those of you who are single need to obey the Lord because 
it will be a carryover value into your married life. If you're not obeying God now as a single, do not kid yourself, do not fool yourself thinking that you're going to obey him when you get married. Let me tell you, if you think it's tough now, you better suck it up. If you're looking for the right person rather than being prepared to be the right person, you will blame that person when you marry them for every one of your failures. Listen to me well, single and married. Do not waste your life by living for yourself. It's a bad investment. The greatest investment is to live your life for Christ and others. You waste your life in yourself, your spiritual portfolio at the end is going to come up zero. In fact, it'll even be in the hole. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7, Paul says this. He says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter, in sexual matters, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarn you and testify for God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to those who are single as well as married. He says that we used to live like dogs, but God does not wink at that as Christians. And he is a silent listener and observer of everything. And no one gets away with anything. The sending of Jacob to Haran by Isaac was in view of his protection. Now notice, the next scene gives us the retaliation of Esau towards Isaac for sending Jacob to Haran. Verse 6 and 7, we have the bitter response of Esau once again, revealing his carnal character. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Panaram to take himself a wife from there, and he blessed him also and gave him that charge. And he heard him say, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Now, this was a great betrayal to Esau at this point. Having been one with his father all his life. They're 75 to 77. I don't want you to think of these guys 22 years old. All right? All his life, 75 to 77 years. Tight. So we can understand from the human perspective Esau's feelings. They're not right, but we can understand because we've been there. This provoked him to hurt both his parents due to his parents' displeasure of him marrying women of the land. Rebecca expressed it in the last verse of the previous chapter, and now here Isaac expresses it to Jacob himself. He's hearing it for himself. Verse 7, Esau also saw that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Panoram. He saw the favor of both parents now towards Jacob. He saw Jacob as one who had taken away his birthright and blessing, even as he told his father when he entered the tent and returning to get blessing in 2736. Is not he rightly called Sir Planter Jacob? He has ripped me off these two times. Hmm. Notice the rebellious heart of Esau could only think revenge, verse 8 and 9. 
Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. He felt betrayed and possibly abandoned by his father at this point. Certainly it is a sad thing when anyone feels alone and abandoned, but we must not lose sight of Esau. He had no business ever thinking that he would be the heir. I find it unimaginable and unthinkable that at the age of 75 to 77, both of these young, both of these old men were not aware of the prophecy. They had to. And they were acting contrary to it. Divided home, favoritism, envy, secrets. He wanted to get even with his father. Sin nature is always looking out for self. Me, myself, and I, the trinity of darkness. Sin nature is always quick to lash out. All of us are very aware of that. Sin nature of man loves revenge. The only problem with revenge is that it only satisfies temporarily. And after you think about it in time flows, it wasn't enough. Sin nature of a believer is called the flesh, the old man. And it must be reckoned dead daily. Or you will walk in the flesh. I will walk in the flesh. Romans 6.6 6 and 6.11. Notice Esau then went to Ishmael in verse 9. He took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebahath, to be his wife in addition to the wives that he already had. And so he sought to join himself with the son that had been rejected years ago, a product of the flesh, his uncle Ishmael. He was the son of Hagar and Abraham back in chapter 16. You see, when we are rebellious, when we want to live our own life, and consequences come because of our own doing, we are always going to affiliate ourselves with people that are wounded just like us, and we'll be there licking our wounds and, and pointing fingers and doing all kinds of dumb stuff and adding to our own hurt. He married his half-cousin, the daughter of Ishmael. Not a full cousin, being far removed through Hagar and then the mother of the young lady, Mehaloth. He became a bigamist to pagan women. Flesh attracts flesh. Flesh begets flesh, always. Flesh never begets spirit. Never. One Joseph Richardson, a New York millionaire, lived and died in a house only five feet wide. It was called the Spite House, and it deserves its name. Owning a narrow lot of land in which he built that house, Mr. Richardson wished to sell it to the neighboring property owners. But they would not pay what he asked for it. And so what he did is he put up this house which disfigured the entire block and then condemned himself to live in discomfort in it. Wow. Vengeful decisions always hurt us the most. Aren't we dumb? Man, we will do things that are incredible just to, to pay back somebody. And in the long run, 
it hurts us more than anything else. Hmm. The retaliation of Esau towards Isaac for sending Jacob to Haran was vindictiveness rather than vindication. Hmm. Pastor Xavier Reese warns us of the consequences that often accompany a vengeful heart. And you can pick up a copy of today's fascinating study on the life of Jacob called You Can Run But You Can't Hide. As always, it's available on CD for just $4. Now, be sure and share this lesson with someone in your church or Bible study. Now, the title once again is You Can Run But You Can't Hide. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. Do you keep a journal to remind you of the faithfulness of God? Find out why remembering the goodness of God is so important. That's right here on the next edition of Simple Truths with Bible Study Teacher, Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com